What's good for the goose is good for the uh, big booty Latina, apparently. Uh, you have uh, a amazing lawsuit uh, being announced against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And uh, I believe the comedian uh, launching the lawsuit has every chance of winning. And it's amazing. Now, if you remember, uh, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, when a bunch of Democrat reply guys and activists actually successfully sued Donald Trump and forced him to unblock 41 of them uh, from his Twitter account because he's a government official, he's elected official. They shouldn't get to block you, by the way. Now, they could still mute you, I suppose, but even that might be questionable as, as well. I think you could probably go, you know, push it further and say that they're not allowed to mute you either because these are elected officials. But what's great about this is it's following the exact same model that the left set up. If you go back to 2019, this is a, a, a the appeal was upheld too. Trump cannot block critics from his Twitter account. Appeals court rules. The decision may have broader implications of how the First Amendment applies to officials' accounts in social media era. By the way, I'm going to leave a link in the in the pinned comment below tonight is um, Community Notes, 5 o'clock Central on the Community Notes channel. So I'd love to see you there. Um, you can set the reminder or notification or whatever right on that channel if you want to watch Sidney Watson and my show. I'd love to see you there. President Trump, this is back 29, has been violating the Constitution by blocking people from following his Twitter account because they criticized or mocked him. A federal appeals court ruled on Tuesday the ruling could have broader implications and implications for how the First Amendment applies in the social media era. Because Mr. Trump uses Twitter to conduct government business, he cannot exclude some Americans from reading his posts and engaging in conversations and replying to them because he does not like their views. A three-judge panel on the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit in New York ruled unanimously, and I actually 100% agree with that. Bro, you're an elected official. You have to hear from your constituents. You don't get to block them. The ruling was one of the highest profile court decisions yet in a growing constellation in a, in, of cases addressing what the First Amendment means in a time when political expression is increasingly, increasingly takes place online. It's also at a time uh, where Judge Barrington D. Parker wrote, when government conduct is subject to wide open, robust debate that generates a level of passion and intensity of the likes which few have we've rarely seen. The First Amendment prohibits an official who uses social media account for government purposes from excluding people from an otherwise open online dialogue because they say things the official finds objectionable, Judge Parker wrote. Quote, this debate, as uncomfortable and unpleasant as it frequently may be, is nonetheless a good thing, the judge wrote. In resolving this appeal, we remind the litigants that the public uh, and the public that if the First Amendment means anything, it means the best response to disfavored speech on matters of public concern is more speech, not less. The Justice Department expressed disappointment in the ruling, but said officials had not yet decided whether to appeal the full appeals court or not. Look, uh, this is, I think this is great. First of all, this is a genius move by uh, Alex Stein uh, because he's going to get all sorts of, of pub for this. Look at this. Here's, here's the article. Troll, I don't think Alex Stein is a troll. It's primetime99. Uh, who heckled AOC on Capitol Steps and called her his favorite big booty Latina, 
sues the lawmaker for blocking him on Twitter. He should. He should. Political provocateur and satirist Alex Stein is suing Representative Ocasio-Cortez for blocking him on Twitter after he heckled her in front of the U.S. Capitol. This is what the left wanted, right? This is what this is what they wanted. They wanted to, you know, I'm sure AOC 100% backs uh, back the victory, the lawsuit that the that the uh, left, the reply guys wanted. And honestly, to be to be totally fair, I think so too. I think anybody <clears throat> that takes government money or t- collects taxes or taxpayer elected officials. You know, should not be able to shut out their constituents, should not be able to block comments at all, period. Um, now, maybe you could get that right if you're like, you know, international people are, are, are trolling you or commenting. Maybe you could get away with it there. But you can't, you don't get to block United States citizen. Uh, political, oh, so they're calling the New York progressive his favorite big booty Latina as she walked into the complex. Stein also shouted out, um, shouted about AOC support uh, for anti-pro-life stances. Uh, she wants us to end babies, but she's still beautifully recorded. You look very beautiful in that dress. I like she she like came over and like said hi. I mean, she's obviously in on it. She went on like this multi-day, multi-network cry fest about how she was just so triggered by the whole event, even though she was clearly you know, loving every minute of it. She went back outside to record an Instagram live or a TikTok or whatever about Alex Stein. The viral interaction with AOC, the interaction with AOC went viral and has since helped Stein bolster his career as an online political satirist. I wouldn't, I mean, yeah, but he was kind of a big deal before that. If you don't know who Alex Stein is, he's the guy that uh, goes to um, city council meetings and, and, uh, and, and uses satire to point out how ridiculous things are. Stein has harangued other lawmakers on Capitol Hill, including Senator Ted Cruz and Representative Eric Swalwell and I. Patch McCain or Dan Crenshaw. But according to Stein, none of them moved the needle close, closer than AOC. Mere months after the confrontation, Stein was in talks with conservative network Blaze Media to host his show. It has since launched under the name Primetime, 90, uh, Primetime with Alex Stein, which is great because now this is free press for Alex. Consequently, AOC blocked him on Twitter, a decision that has now gotten her sued. Stein's suit on Wednesday cited federal appeals court decision that had ruled against then-President Donald Trump. The court ruled that former POTUS had violated the constitutional rights of several individuals by blocking them on Twitter. The appeals court said Trump had acted in his official capacity as president when he made those decisions. Days after the ruling, which came back in November 2019, AOC apologized and settled a case with a former Brooklyn assemblyman whom she had also blocked on the account of critical responses to her tweets. Look, I, I, I my opinion on blocking people on Twitter has changed over the over the years. Um, simply because, you know, right now I'm finding Twitter like completely useless. But, you know, partly because of all the stupid petty fights I start there. Like my feed is just complete garbage and the people that actually want to respond to me in good faith or even disagree with me in good faith, they get drawn out by people that are just bad faith. Like I've been following you for years, man. You've changed. Like, just like, it's just so weird. So it's like, okay, I don't really care if if you're going to get in my comment section and, and mech, you know, try to take it over or ruin things. I don't mind blocking people anymore, 
but like I'm not an elected official. So, it, you know, it's kind of, and you should use your block lightly. I just, I only reserve it for bad faith. Like if you're a viewer and you, you're critis, critical of something cool, but if you're like just going to come and be, you know, spew vile uh, rage and anger with no actual point, then I don't want to consume that. That's why I'm spending more time on my locals, spending more time on Gilded. But anyway, that's a different argument. She ultimately lifted the block on high kind and admitted that she that uh, and he has a First Amendment right to express his views and should not be blocked for them. So this is just an easy W. She's on record saying that it's a First Amendment issue. Sinus hoping for a similar outcome with his suit. He says he doesn't have any hard feelings for AOC, adding that he is not <clears throat> looking for a monetary settlement out of the case, which was filed in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C. I really would like to have her unblock me, he said, saying this would allow him to communicate with her. If AOC decides to battle the case in court, she would be reopening the exact same set of issues and arguments that were previously litigated in terms of whether political figures have the right to prevent certain people or groups from following them online. Back in 2021, the Supreme Court erased the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling that Trump had violated the First Amendment rights. The high court ordered that the case be dismissed as moot because Trump was by then no longer serving as the president. But, you know, ultimately... The point still stands and she will lose in court. And certainly Alex would find plenty of donors to his legal case. The Supreme Court's order meant that the Second Circuit's ruling could no longer be used as a precedent for similar cases in which elected officials had blocked Twitter followers. Stein's case will likely also be handled differently, differently because it stems from statements he made to AOC in person, not online. But we don't know that for sure. You know, back in July, AOC tweeted out the video of Stein confronting her on the Capitol steps, calling it a deeply disgusting incident. She added that Stein was clearly in want of extremist fame, but then she willingly gave it to him because that's how the game is played. That's how all this works. People pretend to be outraged, and then they get a bunch of support, and they galvanize their base. That's exactly what this is. The suit that Stein... Uh, blocked AOC in retaliation to Mr. The suit said that Stein blocked AOC in retaliation to Mr. Stein's exercise of his First Amendment rights because clearly earlier in the day, Mr. Stein or it was in the context of political commentary um, and he complimented Ms. Cortez. Mr. Stein has a constitutional right to access Ms. Cortez's Twitter account as part of vigorous public comment and criticism, reads the suit. Ms. Cortez's practice of blocking Twitter users she disagrees with is unconstitutional and this suit seeks to redress that wrong. Signs attorney Jonathan Gross in an interview said the provocateur's references to AOC's body were satire and that the reference was, to, was for her support for uh, pro-choice is obviously political. My client is a political satirist, he said. Political speech, the Supreme Court said, has said is the highest level of protected speech. Regardless of what Stein said, uh, he argued that AOC does not possess the legal right to block him on Twitter. Stein also defended his comment, saying he didn't really want to disrespect her. It was the most gracious way I could say it, he added, claiming that he was really complimenting her. Stein also said in his in he was inspired to sue AOC after news of the House Ethics Committee investigation into her office had now extended into her appearance at the Met Gala. Quote, she's been accused of accepting off-limit gifts, from the for in the form of designer tax the rich gown as well as her handbag shoes and jewelry for the event other items such as transportation hotel fears hey hair and makeup as well as the outfit uh also 
had her boyfriend as a benefactor. I think ethically, AOC is kind of playing fast and loose, said Stein, admitting, too, that he wants to get her attention. Well, Alex, I wish you all of the best on your lawsuit. You should win, absolutely. And uh, this should be a precedent, I think. If you're an elected official, you got to hear from the people that elected you. That's the name of the game. The internet kind of uh, collectively dunked on a woman realizing that she had hit the wall and that it was too late for her to start a family, to um, you know, continue on down the path that she had, I guess, deeply wanted, but had been led astray by many people say, you know, modern feminism and this like girl boss culture. And, you know, at the end of the day, biology is undeniable. And, uh, you know, even as somebody myself, who's getting uh, much older, who will be 40 this year. And, um, you know, I feel like, dang, I need to pop out some kids. Um, a woman is, 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 is tougher. It's time is more cruel to them. Um, you know, I think, um, the comedian, I forget what the comedian name is. His dad was 70 when he was born. Um, but you know, like I think ultimately the women nowadays or the millennials were kind of sold a bill of goods. In a lot of cases, there are women out there that are happy without kids. And there are men that are out there and happy without kids, but there are also people who are, uh, you know, coping hard. And this is a, a exclusively like a millennial thing. Um, and it's going to be worse in Gen Z, I believe. Um, so there is this video. I'm not going to play it in its entirety because it's actually just really sad. Um, people are really being mean to this woman. I think, you know, ideally you want to point out the ideology that led, led us here. Um, you know, women... When women regret feminism, strong, independent women can't find a man. This is from Modern Woman Archives, uh, and it's it's rough, you know, just kind of hearing it. But this is, you know, this is what they were sold. I'm sitting here with just this horrible realization. I've been divorced for three years, and in that three years, I have spent most of my days figuring out how I can become physically, mentally, financially, mm -hmm. spiritually. So as you can see, the video is starting out, uh, you know, in a very emotional state. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tough. Look, I mean, you know, the, the comments are very cruel, uh, but this is also kind of, the reality of kind of this modern, like I said, you know, ideology push. And I think a lot of women, uh, young women who are going down this path, you know, should, should take this to heed. To be Let's able continue. to afford and take care of a child. And not only have I taken that time, but I've done the math and it, it does not work out. Now, certainly, I think there's a bit of a uh, woman being woman here. She's definitely not too old to have a child. She's definitely not. I forget what she said. She's like in her mid-30s or something like that. It's a different time. She certainly could have a child uh, at this point. But, 
um, I think what you're witnessing in real time is someone realizing that like, dang, you know, I've been lied to. Let's continue. I am not young enough or fertile enough or financially stable enough. to even do another round of IVF and at 36 like okay so she's 36 um you know I think she's probably overreacting here a little bit like she can have a kid at 37 38 39 40 um and be totally fine you know having kids at a later a later age is definitely something that's going on with the millennials right now but I think it's because as you start to get older and you realize, dang, I've been working all the time. Dang, girl bossing has been great, but who do I leave it to? I build an empire. Who do I leave it to? What am I even really doing here? You know, money is great, but, you know, so is family. And, you know, when you have money, family's there. When you don't have money, family's there. Um, and, you know, at, at 36, she's probably fine. Um, but, like, it's, it's a good kind of cautionary tale uh, she goes on like I, I just can't handle the I can't like do the crying woman videos I just can't um, she says I can't spend another minute of my life trying to make something work uh, when I'm just fighting upstream I don't have the money I don't have the resources the community I mean she looks like a pretty good looking woman I mean someone just would happily wife her up I'm sure um, <clears throat> so she had embryos with her ex that were viable um, and now they're gone, and that's my future, my future with those children gone. So she's really realizing, you know, I think now the, the full the full story here um, from from what what, I'll, what is left out, if it's in this video, I'm not totally sure, but in the longer video, you know, her husband, I guess, had lied to her about wanting kids, and you know, she spent all that time with him, got divorced. You know, it's not entirely her fault, but you know, it's being used kind of as this thing. Um, you see people in the comments, y'all should have some grace for her. She dealt with infertility and her husband lied about her, about wanting kids. People's reactions are cruel, you know, but this is kind of the, you know, again, you see, I see a lonely, divorced, very sad woman, like hopeless. I hope some, someday will be her day. I mean, she's, she's young enough. I think this is being spun. Um, like she's some raging feminist, um, that, you know, is a girl boss and nobody even knows that. Um, and, but I, what I will say is that it's a stark reminder, um, that, you know, the clock is ticking on all of us and really nobody's guaranteed anything in life. And you see a lot of this, you know, this video has got millions of views now. It sucks. You know, she, she's obviously very sad. Um, but a lot of people say interesting video. I'm another one thinking there's no way she's 36. Actually, she's 24. Um, no, I mean, she could be 36, certainly. Um, you know, a lot of people saying we're all heartless, but, you know, I've been drowning, but you know, it is heartbreaking. Um, I think that she certainly has time. Um, if I could give her any advice, like, um, there, there are a lot of, uh, men who want families too, that, you know, her in their mid thirties. So it's, it's like, it's tough, but I think it's a it's a good reminder for people who like, um, you know, I think time is ticking and, and people have to make certain choices. And there are people out there that, uh, you know, want kids and can't have them or do and think it'll let, you know, you see this five reasons 
Uh, more millennials are choosing not to have children. They're choosing it now when they're young. But the problem is like when you get older, right? It, things change. You know, when I was in my twenties, I was like, I don't want no kids. I'm almost 40. I'm like, dang, if I would have just had kids then they'd already be out of the house. Um, you know, see fortune magazine, no kids, no problem. Millennials break from the traditional embrace of being child free. But the, the question is really why it sure seems like a lot of kind of programming has gone this way. You have people like Chelsea Handler saying, Oh, I'm so happy. I get up and smoke a J and I've never been happier and blah, 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 blah. It just feels like a cope to me. It could, it, maybe it's not, it feels like it is. You see economic progress has caused the has caused the opportunity cost of having kids to increase. Women have more options than ever when it comes to how to spend their time, money, and energy. As Christine Percheski, associated professor of sociology at Northwestern University, told Insider, the declining birth rate is about women having access to education and employment opportunities. Well, I'd also say it might be having it might be about women having access to indoctrination too. You know, like. I think we're just kind of getting to that generation now of the young women that, you know, are, are about to get into their forties where it's starting to become like, you know, uh, really kind of the last chance, uh, to have kids and how many of them will feel as strongly now as they did when they were 25. Um, I don't know. I, we're like literally just getting to that. You know, I'm kind of part of that generation when women were told, hey, you got You can have it all. Go get a job. Be a girl boss. That'll make you happy. You can be a mom, and, you know, and a, and a, bo a girl boss or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that works. That works out. You know, a lot of men, too. Men have self-selected out of starting families. Um, you know, there's been a lot of mistrust earned and sown between men and women by the media and by everyone's own actions. You know, it's like I look at some of the kids I graduated high school with and they have like six kids and they're, you know, and they're in their 20s, some of their kids. And I'm like, well, they got right to work. But that's super rare nowadays, especially people go, you know, go to college. They spend four or five years in college and they spend the next five years buried in debt. You know, not even that's how it was for me. I wasn't even thinking about kids until I could pay off my student loans. And so. I don't know if this is a good thing for society, people having less kids. Um, I, I have a feeling that it isn't. Um, and I, I have a feeling we'll look back at this era as, you know, some of the times when people pretended that they were happy the most. Um, and a lot of people pretend, you know, that they're so happy, but wait till they're 50 and they don't have anyone to come, you know, spend Christmas with and all their friends and family have kids or they're married and they're, you know, like they, they haven't even gotten to that point yet. So it's like, we don't have the data of like what, how this all plays out. We don't have the data of like, okay, are they really happy still in their fifties and sixties? Because I suspect many of them won't be. And, um, you know, this woman realizing that in real time, uh, I think is a good ex, you know, kind of a good example of that. You know, I think there's some nice comments in here. And then there's also obviously some, some brutal comments. Um, you know, we don't know anything about this woman. So I, I just, I don't think that like, I can, I don't think that dunking on her is extraordinarily fair. I think it is a cautionary tale though. And, um, this is what, you know, third wave feminism wanted and now they've got it and we'll have to see how it all shakes out. Interesting developing story.
um, including Tim Pool and uh, you know Five Times August and and a wide variety of other people who have been deplatformed uh, for, of course, political reasons as per usual. This is not the first time that this stuff has happened. We've seen it happen before with Spotify, for example, uh, people demanding Joe Rogan get deplatformed, although that was unsuccessful. There have been many other successful attempts at uh, having these uh, corporations getting woke, for example, uh, Shopify, um, Discover Card, American Express, U.S. Bank. These All of these companies are people that have deplatformed somebody in some way, shape, or form over their political views and political biases, which is their right <clears throat> as private companies, but creates an extraordinarily complex scenario as private cities. As, as private citizens because, well, quite frankly, they have a monopoly on services. When you get deplatformed from MasterCard or from, you know, uh, U.S. Bank or a bank, there aren't a lot of other options. For example, e-commerce. Sure, you know, you can choose somebody else but Shopify. But what happens when Stripe bans you, which they've also done? That's credit card processing. Now you can't take credit cards or PayPal bans you. So sure, you can find a different e-commerce website, but now you're banned from processing payments. We're literally going back to the era <clears throat> where you're gonna have to request people to mail a check, like, uh, or have like cash on delivery. Remember that? Who's old enough to remember COD? Um, and, and that's what you're gonna have to happen, or you're gonna have to build an alternative economy, which isn't easy to do either. There is, you know, there's parallel economy. There is new payment processors out there, but this is a massive uphill battle that we actually need somebody, in my opinion, at the highest levels of government to help incentivize this. Um, you know, breaking up monopolies is something that I think is good that happens, or helping allow additional comp competition into this space is good because these very same systems that allowed Google Play and Apple iTunes <clears throat> to control what apps are available to 95% of the humans on the planet, that's not a good thing. Um, and, and when you have these choke points that can push people out, uh, block people out, this is what you get. And yesterday, Bandcamp, a lot of people might not know what Bandcamp is, but it's like a, a distribution website for musicians. Uh, you know, like for example, podcasts have Podbean. You upload your podcast to one spot, <clears throat> it can go to all sorts of various other places, like an RSS feed for music. So Bandcamp has pulled musician and YouTuber Timcast music from the platform without a word, warning, or even a reason. Pool announced a removal on Twitter after being unable to find out why the music had been taken down and told the post-millennial that he was unable to get a single reason from Bandcamp as to why his three songs were taken down. Now you see him tweet out yesterday, I mean, just two days ago. Look, our Bandcamp account is gone, <clears throat> still gone, and they haven't responded to as, why, as to why. And if you go here, um, it's like, it kind of exists, but you don't really, like nothing really happens. If you search for Timcast uh, on their website, uh, there's still nothing here. Like they just removed it. And you know what's, it's not just Tim. Also, um, singer-songwriter Five Times August, uh, who is very well-known as well, 
His music also removed with no comment. Five Times August and other musicians saw their catalog wiped from Bandcamp. I had been on the site for 10 years, Five Times August told the Post Millennial. My entire catalog of music, my artist page scrubbed. I re-registered to claim my artist page again, but they only put back one album for now. I wrote them about it. They haven't heard anything from what I understand. No other artists who this happened to have ever heard back either. <clears throat> Quote, I'm more disheartened than anything else. I'm well aware of the escalating political divide in our country right now, but I always thought that music was safe. Pool's producer Carter Banks told the Post Millennial, I truly want to give Bandcat the benefit of the doubt and didn't rush to judgment about our seemingly overnight disappearance, but the numerous failed attempts at contacting them with no much as a tweet back, I don't know what other conclusion I can draw at this point. Pool's had seen, Pool's seen musical successes of late. Um, yeah. I'm not going to get into Tim Pool's music. If you like it, cool. If you don't like it, cool. That's not what this is about. Um, although I already know what's going to happen in the comment section. Um, you know, what happens when a, a lot of these these people like, you know, Tim and the Daily Wire and stuff like that have often talked about, you know, um, creating your own culture. This is something that the Daily Wire is doing very well with their child's children's programming, their movies. Uh, Tim wants to create music. Cool. Uh, but unfortunately, still, we have a long way to go because a lot of this music or a lot of the platforms that allow us to create have been monopolized by, you know, leftist ideologies and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. You can see here, they're just doing the Lord's work. This happened to me last week and I've been on the site for 10 years. My entire catalog and followers gone. They didn't write me back either. I signed up again to reclaim my page. You know, it seems like to me, this is obviously politically motivated. Um, but it seems weird that like, you see, I hope this is a mistake. I've used Bandcamp for years and, you know, I'd hate to leave them over nothing, but you know, Bandcamp doesn't seem to have issued any statements here. 55 minutes ago, even you're a bunch of clowns. You're, I mean, like here, 22 hours ago, <clears throat> Joseph Arthur, uh, wrote, so Bandcamp wants artists to invest time and energy into the platform and then decide on a whim whether or not to remove their content without warning based on politics. How do we keep using them under these stipulations and have anything resembling art? And this is Bandcamp actually blocking them. So you see now confirmation over, you know, happening over the past day or so where five times August actually was blocked by Bandcamp. And you see, and equi equitably, Bandcamp means they'll delete your page without warning and block you if you ask them why. You see, you know, directly connect artists with their fans and make it easy for the fans to support artists equitably so that they can keep making music. You know, it's absolutely insane, too. And you see here, they removed my page, too, without warning. They did the same thing to Timcast. No response from artists for support and no explanation on top of that. I mean... um, is, is there nothing sacred? It's not like Tim's music is inflammatory. It's not like these other artists are inflammatory. And what's interesting is, you know, they don't even have the stones to make any kind of statement about it. Now, if you look, their Twitter is completely desolate. They're trying to tweet their way through it. Um, but really on every tweet, people are asking them, hey, what's going on with this? And I suspect after this video, you know, obviously I don't tell people what to do, but I suspect that people are going to be pretty mad about this and people are going to continue to be in their comment sections 
Here's five times August. Why you're tweeting and not responding to the fact that you're deleting targeted accounts without warning and letting users and not even letting users who purchase tracks from them art access their music, which is a whole nother thing. So what I would suggest happening here, I'm not a lawyer, but it sure seems like you've got a tortious interference thing here from five times August or from Tim pool, uh, where they have now banned them for whatever reason they want, essentially for no reason. And then honestly, it seems like you might have a class action. This is how you get changed by the way, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so maybe I'm just totally off my rocker here, but let's say hypothetically, you know, Tim probably has thousands of purchases, thousands, tens of thousands of customers from Bandcamp, and so does five times August. What if they all sign together on a class action lawsuit to sue Bandcamp for tortious interference, or I'm not sure what the exact word would be. At minimum, it would force them into refunding everybody their money, um, but which would be, you know, literally the least this company could do. But on top of that, I think it would scare the heck out of them. It might prove a point to other services about this kind of thing. Like, yes, they're a private company, but they also have a terms, they have an agreement with their customers. That's how you saw, I think, Patreon lose a lawsuit is because the somebody was banned from Patreon, but all of the patrons who were backing him, backing, I forget who that was, ended up suing Patreon. And, you know, that buried them in all sorts of fees and things like that. Now, I don't know if that would have, you know, if that made any change to uh, ban or, uh, Patreon's policy of spuriously banning people. But, you know, there's like, they can't tweet without getting people in here, like, you know, wondering what's going on. Okay, well, there's some less issues there. But, I, you know, this is only going to get worse. I mean, I, suspo I suspect that the 2024 election season will, will hurry it up. And, you know, I know Tim has the infrastructure and obviously I support him, you know, moving it over. We've seen this now with Crowder, right? Crowder essentially leaving YouTube. I'm sure he'll still upload clips there. That would be foolish not to. But moving to Rumble because, well, YouTube just isn't promoting his videos. YouTube isn't pushing his videos out, you know, doing any of this type of thing. So they move where they can. So it's like, okay, you might be a, a, a big fish in a gigantic pond on YouTube, but if you're not allowed to grow there, perhaps being a, a big fish in a much smaller pond at least allows people to find your content. Um, and that works for small fish too. You know, like that works for every, I talked about that yesterday. That, that, that really works for everybody from a, content perspective, you know, content creators who are not mirroring to at minimum mirroring to rumble odyssey and BitChute. I don't ever want to hear you whine about how you can't get an audience. I don't want to hear you complain about the algorithm. I don't want to hear you complain about anything. If you're not doing the absolute basics, um, you know, are you on any alt tech? You know, yes, you're on Twitter. No one follows you on Twitter. Well, guess what? The Twitter algorithms broke. It's been broke. Are you on gab? Are you on Truth, are you on Getter? Um, none of these are amazing, but they're at least alternatives and people will actually see your tweets. Now, do we need an alternative for, the thing is like, what we we don't need like a right-wing music band camp alternative. We just need a company that isn't run by ideologues that is more interested in making money. I mean, uh, I'm not gonna mention a certain coffee company that, that, uh, that does that. Promo code SWAT to save 10% today still. But uh, 
you know, this is this is only going to get worse, and the right needs to get better at building their own infrastructure. And um, I think that there are moves getting done there. There are ma moves getting made there that are good. But uh, I support Tim 110%. And, um, you know, if Bandcamp wants to, to cut them loose, I hope that there is massive financial ramifications for Bandcamp for this, because there should be. This morning, we had a uh, pretty big, uh, spicy new Twitter files drop on top of uh, some congressional uh, uh, hearings over the Twitter files and over the suppression of Americans' First Amendment rights and the unlawful monitoring, in my opinion, of Americans over expressing dissent or perhaps unapproved opinions on Twitter. Uh, and of course, even uh, the request of j certain journalists, finally journalists who finally cared about Twitter files because they were revealing that journalists were being, their information was being requested by the United States government. Uh, it's, it's, it's never been more clear that, um, you know, our, our, our First Amendment right was completely trampled on. And we see things like uh, today, Representative Stacey Plaskett of, of uh, a Democrat refers to Matt Taibbi and Schellenberg as, quote, so-called journalists. You can see some fiery exchanges. And to praise him for his work. This isn't just a matter of what data was given to these so-called journalists before us now. There are many legitimate questions <laughs> like about where Musk got the financing to buy Twitter. We know for a fact that foreign countries... So-called journalists, and of course, uh, the response, which is great. That time was spent at Rolling Stone magazine. Ranking member Plaskett, um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I.F. Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, Oops. including four New York Times, New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> uh, I'm now at that time. You can hear the laughing, right? You can hear the laughing on the mic. Uh, what, I, what I think is particularly ama uh, amazing, um, she represents the American Virgin Islands, so so-called American areas. <laughs> I mean, like... the. the like, I love how she's like, uh, doesn't even bother to look at him uh, during his reply because she's a coward loser. Um, then you all see Matt Taibbi's opening statement on the Twitter files and censorship industrial complex. I want to show uh, it's just four minutes long, but I'm not going to show the whole thing, but I'll show you some of it. Chairman Jordan, ranking member Plaskett, members of the select committee. Thank you for having me today. My name is Matt Taibbi. I've been a reporter for 30 years uh, and a staunch advocate of the First Amendment. Much of that time was spent at Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, ranking member Plaskett, um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I.F. Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times, New York Times bestsellers. Uh, I'm now the editor of the- I don't know who's that laughing on the mic. It might be the, the other guy testifying. He sounds nervous, but he's doing good. Magazine Racket on the independent platform Substack. I'm here today because of a series of events that began late last year when I received a note from a source online. It read, are you interested in doing a deep dive into what censorship and manipulation was going on at Twitter? A week later, the first of what became known as the Twitter files reports came out. To say these attracted intense public interest would be an understatement. So he goes on and says, quote, Twitter, Facebook, Google, and other companies developed a formal system for taking in moderation requests from every corner of government, from the FBI, DHS, HHS, DOD, Global Engagement Center at State, even the CIA. For every go government agency scanning Twitter, there were perhaps 20 quasi-private entities 
doing the exact same thing. And that was a key, uh, a key kind of delineation fact or a key discovery in the, in the initial Twitter files. And that's while sometimes the government was directly involved as it seemed with, um, agent Elvis Chan, I believe in California, uh, where he's like making direct requests of Twitter. There were also many almost like uh, operatives. They would contract out work to do their bidding so that they could wash their hands of the direct um, of the direct infringement of the United States citizens' First Amendment rights. You see Twitter file statement of Congress, the censorship industrial complex. Um, you see true content, which might provide uh, polk history, you know, all this kind of stuff that goes in here to monitor all tweets coming from Trump's personal account, Biden's personal account. When Twitter files reporters were given access to Twitter's internal documents last year, we focused on the company, which at times acted like power above government. And now they're just leaking DMs here from Del Harvey and Yul Roth saying that's real weird, IMO. I talked with Vijaya, Sean, read the whole Pi 2 or P2 thing for both the COOF and elections. Um, Vijaya wants to aim for 30 minutes SLA for labeling these two things. In exchange, she was okay with, quote, us asking Twitter's, um, I'm assuming Twitter services or whatever, to monitor all tweets coming from Trump's personal account and Biden's personal account, Trump's official and Trump's un and Biden's official. Sign off to apply the label coming from any one of them and to err on the side of labeling. Um, and this is, wow, there's some big changes. Well, if she wanted to get to 30 minutes. But Twitter acted more like a partner, an, an actual partner to government. With firms like, with other tech firms, it held regular industry meetings, the FBI, the DHS, and developed a formal system for receiving thousands of content reports from every corner of government, HHS, Treasury, NSA, and even local police. You can see all these various requests and all these meetings at oh, Russia status, China status, global status, planning for elections. This is with Elvis Chan, of course. Emails from the FBI, DHS, and other agencies often came with spreadsheets of hundreds of or thousands of account names for review. Often they would be deleted soon after. Many were obvious misinformation, like accounts urging people to vote the day after the election. But the other but the official disinfo reports had shakier reasoning. They highlighted Twitter analysis here disagrees with the FBI about account deemed a proxy of Russian actors. Then we saw, of course, disinfo lists where evidence was even less clear. This list of 378 Iranian state-linked accounts included an Iraq vet once arrested for blogging about the war, a former Chicago Sun-Times reporter, and Truthout, a site that publishes Noam Chomsky. In other cases, some cases, state reports didn't even assert misinformation. Here is a list of YouTube videos it flagged for anti-Ukraine narratives. Again, YouTube videos that were anti-Ukraine. But the bulk of censorship requests did not come from government directly. As if Twitter's marketing department could say the company detests, detects misinfo with the help of outside experts, a Twitter executive replied with the following. Not sure we'd describe the FBI slash DHS as experts or some NGOs that aren't academic. We, got, we came to think 
of this grouping, state agencies, DHS, FBI, or GEC, along with NGOs that aren't academic, an unexpectedly aggressive partner, commercial news media, as the censorship industrial complex. Who's in the censorship industrial complex? Twitter in 2020 helpfully compiled a list for a working group set up in 2020, the National Endowment for Democracy, the Atlantic Council's DFR Lab, and Hamilton 68's creator, the Alliance for Securing Democracy. Twitter executives weren't sure about Clemson Media's forecast lab, too chummy, and they weren't keen on Rand Corporation, too close to the US DOD, but others were deemed just right. Essentially here, he's talking about how they are working like directly to censor Americans. And you see here, their taxpayer-backed conclusions, the state should have total access to data make, to make searching easier. Speech offenders should be put into a holding area and government should probably restrict disinformation, even if it means, quote, losing some freedom. That, of course, was a report that was co-authored by Katie Couric and Chris Krebs, the founder of DHS Cybersecurity and Infrastructure. Note, Aspen recommend, recommended the power to mandate data disclosure be given to the FTC, which this committee just caught in a clear abuse of office, demanding information from Twitter about communications and the identities of the Twitter files reporters. Naturally, Twitter's main concern regarding the Aspen report was making sure Facebook got hit harder than any result, any resulting regulatory changes. You see one takeaway here, how to separate ourselves from the examples and recommendations that read primarily geared towards Facebook. The same agencies, FBI, DHS, GEC, invite the same experts funded by the same foundations, trailed by the same reporters, seemingly to every single conference, every single panel. The Twitter files show the principles of this incestuous, self-appointed truth squad moving from law enforcement intelligence to the private sector and back, claiming a special right to do what they say is bad practice for everyone else, be fact-checked only by themselves. While Twitter sometimes pushed back on technical analysis from NGOs about what it was and what wasn't a bot on the subject matter questions like the poker elections, they instantly defer to sites like PolitiFact, funded by the exact same people that fund and NGOs, Newark and Knight. Twitter files repeatedly showed media acting as proxy for NGOs, with Twitter bracing for bad headlines if they don't get rid of accounts. Here, the Financial Times gives Twitter until the end of the day to provide a, quote, steer on whether RFK Jr. and other poke offenders will be zapped, saying, oh, we're going to run a bad headline if you don't, if you don't address it. Well, you say, so what? Why shouldn't civil society organizations and reporters work together to boycott misinformation? Isn't that not an exercise of free speech, but particularly enlightened form of it? The difference is these campaigns are taxpayer funded through the state. It's supposed, though the state is supposed to stay out of domestic propaganda, the Aspen Institute, Graphica, Atlanta Council's DFR Lab, New America, and other anti-disinformation labs were receiving huge public awards. Some NGOs like GEC-funded Global Disinformation Index or the DOD-funded NewsGuard not only seek moderation but apply subjective, subjective risk or reliability scores to media outlets which can result in a reduction of revenue. Do we want government in this role? Perhaps the ultimate example of absolute fusion of state and corporation, the civil society organizations and the Stanford Internet Observatory whose, quote, election integrity partnership is among the most voluminous 
flaggers in the Twitter files. After a public uproar, paused the Orwellian Disinformation Governments Board of the DHS in early 2020, Stanford created the EIP to fill the gaps legally, as Director Alex Stamos explains here. I mean, this, you know, ultimately, after the 20, well, let's finish here, after the 2020 election, when EIP was renamed the Virality Project, the Stanford Lab was onboarded to Twitter's JIRA ticketing system, absorbing this government proxy into Twitter's infrastructure with a capability of taking in an incredible 50 million tweets a day. I mean, it's absolutely insane. In one remarkable email, the Virality Project recommends that multiple platforms take action even against stories of true poke side effects and true posts which could fuel hesitancy. None of these leaders of the effort to police Koof speech had health expertise. Kind of a big deal, right? I mean, this is absolutely insane. You have, I mean, this is, you know, and I don't want to rob Taibi of it, you know, read everything word for word, but, you know, you should read his work directly. I mean, this is, this is perhaps the biggest, most important Twitter file thread to date. You know, Roth adding, we shouldn't comment repeatedly on Twitter files. When Twitter learned the truth about scandals like Project Birmingham, they said nothing. Like banks were silent about the mortgage fraud. Reporters also kept quiet, protecting fellow, quote, stakeholders. Twitter stayed silent out of political caution. Diresta, who ludicrously claimed she thought Project Birmingham was just an experiment to investigate what they thought could grow an audience using sensational news hinted at a broader reason. Quote, I know there were people who believed the Democrats needed to fight fire with fire, she told the New York Times. It was absolutely chatter going around the party. It's like, you know, insane. In the digital age, this sprawling new information control bureaucracy is an eerie sequel to the dangerous Dwight Eisenhower warned about in his farewell address when he said the potential for disastrous rise of misplaced power exists. I hope you enjoyed this video. Hopefully we'll see some good stuff going on uh, at Congress and coming out of this, but uh, I remain cautious at best. Uh, we had uh, International Women's Day yesterday. I don't know if you knew that, um, but uh, shout out to all the uh, birthing people. I mean, no, wait, that's the modern language. Sorry. Uh, shout out to all the uh, uh, biological females out there. And, um, you know, shout out to uh, all the biological men, too. I, I don't really understand the purpose of these days other than to create news for the news cycle that always needs something. But it seems like the definition of a woman uh, these days is is continually kind of under, like women are under attack, much like my channel many times. And it's, it's really bizarre to see it get pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And that's kind of why you're seeing the right push back so furiously, because many on the right believe that they've been too kind, they've been too uh, amiable, and then they gave an inch, they gave an inch, and now we're looking back and, you know, biological men are competing against biological women in Olympic events. And yesterday was another perfect example of that, uh, where Twitter uh, laughs and groans as Jill Biden, Joe Biden's wife or caretaker, 
gives biological male woman of courage award. Up your game, ladies. Uh, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweeted, it's International Women's Day. Good time, good time to remember that Democrats can't even tell you what a woman is. First Lady Jill Biden and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken were slammed on Wednesday for presenting a biological male from Argentina with an award for women on International Women's Day. This year's annual International Woman of Courage Award ceremony at White House honored 11 extraordinary women from around the world who were working to build a brighter future for all. Argentinian Alba Ruida was introduced at the ceremony as a transgender woman who was kicked out of classrooms, barred for sitting for exams, refused job opportunities, subjected to bad behavior, and rejected by her family. But in the face of these challenges, she worked to end discrimination against the LGBTQ community in Argentina. It's over? I didn't know that. Okay, well, maybe we need to give this person an award. Also, then I better not, I better never hear any, you know, uh, we're under attack. Our community is under attack uh, videos or complaints from this group. I, I, the president just co-signed that. Commentators across Twitter balked at the idea of a person who has been more than a man being bestowed with a woman, bestowed with a woman's award. Governor Huckabee Sanders, we got that one. Nice of Flotus to encourage the ah, diminishment of women on International Women's Day. Erasing women is abusive, Dana Loesch wrote of the Dana Show. International Women's Day, not just for women anymore, conservative Twitter personality Andrea Catherine wrote in the reply. And that's kind of what a lot of these holidays are being used for. They're being used to really erase women, uh, to muddy the waters on the definition of a woman, to outright lie about what a woman is. Uh, and it's all being done in the name of progress, but it's obviously uh, one of those things that does not progress anything other than perhaps division and, and um, insanity. It is purely divisive. We are not a serious country. Common Sense Society Christopher Bedford responded. Claremont Institute President Ryan Williams put the jokes right themselves. Why are Democrats working overtime to push the trans agenda? Well, I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Red State columnist and author Buzz Patterson wrote, nothing screams International Women's Day of courage like a dude. Uh, another quote, this is disgraceful and unacceptable. Republican National Hispanic Assembly National Editorial Board member and podcaster tweeted. Well, it's only the beginning. It's like you know, International Woman of Courage awarded to biological male. You're Piers Morgan. Why can't I, on International Women's Day, Sam Pierce Morgan and identify as a black lesbian? Pierce questions the logic of people being able to change their identity, gender identity, and expecting the same rights as a biological woman. I think that's absolutely correct. You know, it's like, um, I think the idea of having, like, there's no difference. There's absolutely nothing wrong with siding with science. You know, these are the, the people that, you know, follow the science people um, you know, nice of Flotus to encourage the diminishment, diminishment of women on national, you know, this is all like insane. You see this? In our I mean, it's Argentina, like a Alba Ruada is a transgender woman who was kicked out of classrooms, barred for sitting for exams. It's a biological man. I mean, I just, I don't get it. The, and then, and the gaslighters in the comments too, saying stuff like, well, what's the big deal? Why are. Why are, why are people mad about this? Because it's erasing women because it's an attack, a direct attack on, on women. And, you know, women need, you know, people like to protect women. 
this was something that feminism used to do during the first and second wave of it. And now the third wave has been about erasing them uh, because women aren't, don't have enough victimhood currency. So they've changed that. And you see, you know, um, you know, forgive me if I sound misogynistic, I don't mean to, but this is not, this is not going to stop unless women start showing their outrage to do nothing is as bad as being complicit. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like women have to be the ones who speak out about this. Women have to be the ones I've talked about it with like the swimmer, you know, biological male competing against biological women. Those women need to just stay on the blocks and not swim. Um, they need to protect their own spaces because Men can't do this one for them. Not that they do everything for them. I'm saying men can't, you know, it's, we've been pushed out of the conversation. So until, and of course, like South Park gets it right again, you know, it's just, it's just all the same thing over and over again. And if, you know, just yesterday, there was a ruling that says trans women, again, biological men can compete in USA powerlifting ruling says. Trans women can now compete in the USA powerlifting after a court ruled in favor of athletic JC Cooper, who filed a discrimination case against the Federation after she was banned from competing in women's events. All you have to do is point out that this literally never goes the other direction. You literally never have a biological woman trying to force their way into competing against biological men. It only seems to go this way. I wonder why that is. USA Powerlifting must revise its existing policy pertaining to trans women as in its events by next Monday. Two weeks after their initial ruling, CBS News has reached out to USA Powerlifting for a statement, but has yet to hear back. The harm is in making a person pretend to be something different. The implicit messaging being that they are less who they are. Well, here's the thing. If you're a biological male who has transitioned to female, you can still compete for Olympic events, but you will compete in the biological male category. And the same goes for biological female. Why is that so hard to understand? The case was originally filed in Ramsey County District Court, St. Paul, Minnesota, in January of 2021 after Cooper was denied entry into the USA powerlifting competitions on the basis of her gender identity. The USAPL subsequently instituted a policy that banned all transgender women from competitions. I'm also fine with that. Unless it's uh unless they want to compete in their own category, um, you know, off to the side, uh, that's fine. But th this whole stuff is like a, a joke, you know. On February 27th, a judge ruled in Cooper's favor and found that USA's powerlifting guilty of having discriminated against her. Like I don't really understand. It do, It does not take courage. It does not take strength to do these things. Um, you can also have a trans division. That's totally fine. Um, you know, I'm fine with that. Or if they, if uh, competitors want to compete in their own biological biological category, that's also fine by me. You have two options. I think that 90% of people would agree with. And then you have this, it takes courage and strength to fight for what's right. What? Oh, what a, what a surprise. I'm pre-blocked. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really think this is courage. This is extreme narcissism. This is misogynistic behavior at its highest level. This is a biological man inserting themselves into a space uh, determined for, uh, kept for biological women. Again, you see these replies. Odd that we never hear about transgender men insisting on competing on male teams. 
It's like they see an easy, you know, they might like it, but it's about winning. It's an easy path to win. You know, you're, you're competing against, you know, a lifetime. I mean, Joe Rogan settled this too. A lifetime of, you know, uh, having testosterone course through your veins. And then what? You just take some estrogen for a few months to get your levels low enough. Then now you can compete against biological women. It's absurd. And, and no actual person would agree with, like, that no actual human being on the planet would disagree with me. And it, it's, it's insane. And again, like, women need to walk away from this then. I don't, you know, and it sucks because they, you know, they've been training their whole life to compete in this event. But when they go up against this woman, they need to sit out and not compete. That's unfortunately, that's the only solution to this is just to refuse to compete on national TV. When they, when the swimmers get up in the block and it's an Olympic event, and you have some biological man swimming against women, sit down and don't, don't, don't jump off the blocks. That's the only option to fix this. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, please make sure you leave a like on it and we'll talk to you again real soon.